does this better than anybody. End zone, Cobb, touchdown! Unbelievable! 3-2. Here it is! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. Johnny Vazell will send the Dogs home to the championship game. Steps into it, passes, What is up, guys, and welcome to the third installment of the Red Shirt Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest all the way from the great state of Wisconsin. We have Joey Bonadonna on. How you doing, Joey? How's it going, Jeremy? Good, good. So, Joey, similar to my last guest, definitely absolute sports fanatic. Knows way more than me, for sure. Um, big Packers fan, Wisconsin football. He's all all Wisconsin all the time. Uh, I think you can ask him anything sports-related, and he'll have an answer with you uh, within 10 seconds. So, glad absolutely. to have you on, Joey. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So, we're going to start off with... So, for those of you who don't know the IFL, correct me if I'm wrong in any of these, Joey, but um, it's the Indoor Football League. And yeah. my good buddy, Joey, has had the opportunity to work with the Blizzards, the local team in Wisconsin... So I just want to start off with talking with him about um, his experiences working in that field. So take it away. Yeah, so um, it started just this past winter, winter of 2018. Uh, before the 2019 season, I got offered an internship with the team, uh, kind of just working whatever I could, social media, um, working scouting with the player personnel guys in the office, and uh, eventually it led to me um, uh, getting the opportunity to do the color commentary for the 2019 season. Uh, that was a really cool experience. We got to do uh, four games, um, including a playoff game, which is the Blizzard's first playoff game since um, it was 2012, I believe. Uh, they unfortunately lost to uh, the Nebraska Danger. Uh, their quarterback's Tommy Armstrong, the Heisman contender from about 2016. Um so it was a overall great experience, and I feel blessed to definitely have that opportunity to have uh, that experience at such a young age. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I think, yeah, at a, such a young age, getting into stuff like that, you know, just working yourself into the sports world, and you're already making connections early and showing off your great talent as a sports mind and um, as a public speaker, so... Awesome to hear for sure. Um, so next up, we're going to look into the NFL round. A little bit of preview of the NFL. And we'll start off with Joey. You can talk, tell me a little bit about your uh, hometown Packers. What are we thinking for the 2020 season? So obviously the Packers went 13-3 last year, went to the NFC Championship game. Um, probably had one of the most interesting off seasons in all of the NFL. Uh, lost their leading tackler, lost their stalwart right tackle in Brian Balaga, uh, lost uh, a solid wide receiver two option, Geronimo Allison, lost their starting tight end. Uh, but the, I, I think the, in free agency, they went out and they filled those gaps. They brought in Christian Kirksey from Cleveland, 
Uh, when he's healthy, I think he can definitely make a difference. They yeah. brought in Rick Wagner from Detroit, uh, a, a veteran right tackle that can fill in a gap there. Um, Devin Funches, who's already proven he can he can be a wide receiver one talent um, when he was with Carolina back in, I believe, 2017, 2018, that range. Uh, and uh, bringing back Mercedes Lewis, which I think was a great uh, – uh, re-signing uh he's got great chemistry with Aaron Rodgers a uh, great blocking tight end and I think um being able to fill those holes that they lost in free agency was definitely a a, a positive but then you look at the draft I mean obviously uh the whole dilemma this offseason was the the trading up to get Utah State's Jordan Love and in my opinion, obviously, every Packers fan gut check was, what are we doing? What Picking Aaron Rodgers' replacement in the first round, you know, three or four years away from seeing him, seeing Rodgers retire. But when you think about it, in my opinion, I love quarterbacks that they, that take time to develop. I am a huge proponent of that. I mean, you look at Patrick Mahomes, look at Lamar Jackson. The past two MVPs, they did not start for more than maybe one game in their rookie year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't start for three for three years. Tom Brady didn't start for uh, almost two years um, at the beginning of his career. I think you you see more of a pattern of quarterbacks taking time to develop, uh, and I think that's what we're going to see with Jordan Love down the road and then obviously i the the talk around town has been like you know obviously the packers might not have the talent to go 13 to 3 again but um it's they definitely have enough talent to keep them winning the division they did not lose a lot of talent and they really have no major holes going into um the 2020 season and i know the the argument is the packers have no wide receivers i actually wrote an article about it on uh, Cream City Central, uh, a blog out of Milwaukee. Yeah, make sure to uh, check it out. I, it's uh, it's linked in my bio on Instagram, I'm sure. Uh, Jer here will give you guys a link to that um, it, wherever. But yep. you talk about Alan Lazar, you talk about the pickup of Devin Funchess. Um, I think those are really two interesting guys coming into the 2020 roster. And then another guy that a lot of people kind of glossed over, it was, it was signing back in January during the playoffs, uh, one of the top three receivers in the CFL, which uh, obviously, you know, with my work in the indoor football league, I love developmental league guys. I love guys that will come in with a great work ethic and want to get to the next level. And I think uh, his name's Reggie Begleton. I think he will come in and fill the hole that um, that the Packers need. I mean, you, you talk about uh, Brandon Ayuk. They're, they're pretty much the same size, both Begleton and Ayuk. And the Packers are going to get Begleton for five times less money when it when it comes down to brass tacks for three years. They're going to get him for five times less money. And with the Packers, they're kind of going into a cap hell, so to speak. Uh, you're going to potentially lose Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark, uh, Kevin King, Corey Lindsley, Jamal Williams, uh, Alan Lazard, potentially if he has a big year. Uh, you're, and then Jair Alexander and um, Devonte Adams in the next couple of years. I think Brian Gutekunst is looking. Look, we have enough talent in here that we need to focus our money on, 
and I, I he doesn't see the fact that he needs to splurge on those guys from outside as much because he has to focus his money on what's in the organization right now. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, love the insight. And I think going back to the Jordan Love pick, obviously everyone was just shocked. I thought they'd probably be moving up to take a linebacker, uh, maybe a receiver. So, um, you know, for I think everyone's first reaction was just, what, what are they doing? But to me, I understand it, and I totally agree with the developmental thing. Obviously, there are some guys that are just ready to start day one, but there's nothing wrong with taking a developmental guy, letting him learn behind a, you know, a great guy in Aaron Rodgers. People are saying that you know Rodgers won't want to mentor him. I just I think that's a lazy narrative. And regardless, just being able to watch a great like Rodgers play is going to elevate him. So ultimately, the thing with Jordan Love, you know, if we're saying he's redshirting for at, le- at least two years, I think, I'd be very surprised if we saw him sooner than that with regular action. It's going to come down to Matt LaFleur and that offensive coaching staff to work on his work on his massive turnover issue, work on certain footwork things. Um, so I'm not opposed to the whole Jordan Love thing, and I, I think it was... It wasn't a bad pick in the sense that the Packers can win now, but getting a guy like Love could preserve them as a playoff team. So right. I I really don't mind the Jordan Love pick. Um, rest of the draft was pretty awful to me. And the, the whole wide receiver narrative, like I'm one I'm one of the people like, yeah, they probably could have tried to get a little more. But like you were saying about guys like Funches and Lazard. They're not exactly proven, but they have the ceiling. Like Devin Funches, um, he's been inconsistent, but he has the ceiling to be a solid wide receiver too. And similar thing with Alan Lazard. I know you're maybe the biggest Alan Lazard fan on the planet. I like Alan Lazard, and I think he can be a great compliment. And that's the key is you. they don't need to have an elite cast of receivers past Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is incredible. If Lazard and Funches can play solid enough that you can't throw four guys on Devontae Adams, the offense will work. Exactly. So. And I think we, we talked about it a little bit earlier this week with the whole uh, – talking about the 49ers system and what Matt LaFleur is trying to turn uh, Green Bay into. Uh, you, you look at the weapons that they've put around Jimmy Garoppolo. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need that many weapons. He doesn't need like a, a Debo Samuel Marquis Goodwin – Brandon Ayuk, whoever else they have on that roster that is going to be an elite option for them, Aaron Rodgers doesn't really need that. I, we maybe you've seen a little bit last year that you know there's some receivers with drop issues. Like Lazard had some drop issues. Allison, uh, who went on his way out to Detroit, had some drop issues. You, you think if that's the one thing that they need fixed. I think Aaron Rodgers is in for a great year. And going back to the whole Jordan Love thing, um, I think we were you were you're touching on a, the narrative that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to help Jordan Love. I I think that's already been proven false. He said in an interview that you know he doesn't want for Jordan uh, the same situation that that Aaron had uh, with when he got drafted and Brett Favre was here. Um, and you talk about the kind of quarter, the quarterbacks that were behind Aaron for 
many years. Brett Hundley from UCLA, uh, Deshaun Kaiser um, from Notre Dame, uh, a lot of guys that were behind Aaron. There were no issues there uh, between butting heads between Rodgers and his backup. So I don't think that it'll be any different with Love. I think that they'll get a great relationship and uh, whatever happens down the road happens. Yeah, well, and I think as a developmental prospect, obviously Rodgers isn't trying to get the guy to take his job, but that's just a poor take because he's a developmental prospect that just isn't ready yet, and Rodgers might be regressing, but he's not. He's not. I, I'd be very surprised if they would bench Rodgers for love, I think. No way, yeah. I just yeah. don't think that's a possibility. Definitely, there is no way that going through Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur's mind in that draft was, we're going to bring in Jordan Love uh, to give Aaron Rodgers some competition. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it was, we're looking for the future. Aaron Rodgers is our guy right now, but whatever happens down the road, we we want a guy that's going to be ready, and I think that's going to be Jordan Love. Yeah, totally. Um, moving on from specifically the Packers, great insight, obviously. A very intriguing team following the 13-3 and season in the NFC Championship appearance. Um, let's talk a little MVP race. Obviously, we have the favorites such as Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, all that jazz. Who are a couple uh, sleepers, some dark horses for you in the MVP race? Well, we, we've seen this um, kind of re- reoccurrence with guys that come in uh in their sophomore season so to speak their second season that they they're as a quarterback they'll either jump to mvp status like patrick mahomes and lamar jackson or they kind of regress like a a sam darnold or a baker mayfield type type guy i think that there are a lot of candidates for sophomore quarterbacks this year you talk about drew Locke in denver and the amount of weapons that they put around him i mean jerry judy Cortland sutton kj hamler uh, Deshaun Hamilton, you have Noah Fan at tight end. Uh, they signed Melvin Gordon, the former Badger. Uh, they have a lot of weapons around him, and I think potentially that they're going to have an opportunity to do something special. Maybe, hopefully, uh, sneak into the playoffs as um, as a wild card. Obviously, they're in the division with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but I think the Broncos have uh, the possibility to be a really good team this year, and then also. Uh, Sticking with the sophomore quarterback trend, Kyler Murray, obviously, when you give him arguably the best wide receiver in football and DeAndre Hopkins, I think easily he can get to another level. I think watching his tape last year, there are a lot of positives that he can build on. And giving him DeAndre Hopkins is definitely going to give him an opportunity to jump to that elite status. I think, in my opinion, Murray and Locke are probably two of the sleepers Uh, In the MVP race, I know a lot of people have been talking about, like, they have Murray or Locke, but, you know, just sticking with that trend with guys who, you know, didn't really have a, you know, elite year last year, that they can take that step up in their second year. Yeah. So, for me, I I have three listed. Um, Tyler and Locke were my two. I think Tyler isn't as much of a sleeper now. I think guys are getting on the Kyler train, but I still think... Compared right. to the, I wouldn't call him necessarily a front runner. So I like Kyler. I love Drew Locke for that. I'm gonna hit on Drew Locke in a little bit for, um, for a different part. And then my third one is Matthew Stafford. And obviously, never trust the Lions. It's it's a bad choice to ever have put any faith into anything Detroit sports related. But 
on paper, the Detroit offense is pretty solid. Um, you got Kenny Galladay. Um, what else? Uh, Marvin Jones, you got, uh, you got Carrion Johnson. Sorry, I just had a brain lapse. You got Carrion Johnson. You got Marvin Jones. You got... They have a lot of talent in the backfield. Added DeAndre Swift as well. I think if he stays healthy and that offense can play to their top ability, I think Matthew Stafford is a great quarterback that just has been plagued by both injuries and having to play in Detroit. Um, I think he can totally compete for MVP if he can keep that offense going, which I keep saying it. It's all ifs because there's no reason to count on Detroit sports. But, um... I mean, I love I love Matthew Stafford. My heart goes out to him for having to be in Detroit. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, as as a Packer fan, I've been I've been able to watch Stafford for multiple years now, going back to what two thousand nine now since he was there. Uh, he he's been a great quarterback. I mean, obviously, we saw uh, Monday Night Football. I mean, he almost he almost came into Lambeau and knocked off the Packers and kept the division lead like the. The Lions, believe it or not, at one point were leading in the NFC North for like two weeks. But you look at what could have been if they won that game, I think they could have had a a great season, especially if uh, Stafford had stayed healthy. And I I love that Lions offense. I think Hawkinson can take another step up. Uh, You know, they brought in Allison, who can can be pretty solid. I think he had some drop issues in Green Bay, but I think he could be a very solid option at a Lions offense. Uh, drafting Quintez Cephas, the former Badger, who I really like um, as a wide receiver 3-4 option. Uh, I think he can do make some noise in Detroit this year. Uh, overall, I, I like that Lions offense, and I think if Stafford can stay healthy, he can stay. He can be in that conversation this year. Yeah. Um, moving on, sticking with the NFL, though. Um, obviously, we had the expansion of the playoffs. It's going to be seven teams from each conference. Wish we had that a couple years ago when the Jets went 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs. Yeah. Not at all salty, but regardless, who are some teams that could sneak into the playoffs as a result of that, or even, like, divisions that benefit from this? Uh, I think I brought it up a little bit with uh, the Broncos, um, you know, I think they can probably sneak in there at a ten and six, nine and seven, uh, with that extra spot. They don't have to be a, a really great team to make the playoffs. Now you can just you can get in, be a, a, a solid team, win a couple games, uh, be a little bit above by above five hundred, and get into the playoffs. And I think they have the talent to do that, both offensively and defensively. I mean, you talk about Miller and Chubb defensively, Justin Simmons. Uh, they have a lot of talent, and I think they can definitely get into the playoffs. Uh, also, sticking with the AFC, a lot of people in counting out the Patriots, you know, saying, now they're going to go below 500. Jared Stidham's not going to be all that. I think we saw it back in, what, 2014 when, um, when Brady was suspended, or I'm not sure what year it was, when Brady got suspended for four games. They, Bill Belichick can obviously win. Without Tom Brady, he won. He went three and one in that four-game suspension with Jimmy Garoppolo and, Jer- and um, excuse me, J- Jacoby Brissett. I think they can still go above five hundred. Jarrett Stidham just needs to be able to, you know, rise to the challenge 
and at least be starting quality. I think if he can be a quality starter, I think the Patriots are definitely going to be able to sneak in uh, on that uh, AFC side. I think the Jets, too, they have a good shot of getting in. Um, I think uh, I think the NFC is kind of top heavy. That you, you kind of have your seven and seven or eight playoff contenders uh, that are going to do well. I think the AFC is going to be a lot more uh, interesting to see where they go. Uh, which seven teams make into the playoffs? AFC. Yeah, I think it'll be AFC. I mean, pretty wide open for me. I I noted down some specific divisions. For me, AFC East still touching on the Patriots. Um, I think their offense will probably move towards being a run-centric offense, see Sony Michelle get a higher volume of carries. And I think you said it, if Stidham can be average, really just average probably, they can win. I You have to trust Belichick. So you can't count them out. Um, and with the extra playoff spot, I think uh, similar to the Broncos, I think they can make it 9-7. and seven. They don't have to win the division. They don't have to... Uh, beat the Bills, who I think are probably the favorite in the AFC East. Um, as well as looking at the NFC West, um, with the rise of the Cardinals being a very trendy pick for the playoffs, um, the extra the extra spot really benefits the entire division. While I'm not high on the Rams, obviously, I think the Rams are all below the other three teams, uh, it gives the chance where we could see, we could see maybe all three teams from the NFC West in there, whether it be the Cardinals winning the division, the Niners winning the division, or the Seahawks. Um, So that'll be interesting. Going back to your division, the NFC North, similar thing to the uh, West. There are really three legitimate contenders. I think, again, the Bears are a tier below those three teams. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to get more opportunities for solid teams in tough divisions to make a run. Right, and I, I think you touch you touch on the NFC North. I think the NFC North is wide open. Even as a Packer fan, I think the Bears have a good shot with that defense that they have. I think the Vikings will the Vikings will be pretty good. I know they lose Stephon Diggs um, and a lot defensively, but I think they have a really good shot to. I think win that division. Obviously, the Packers. I think if. I shouldn't say it, but the Lions, maybe they could shock the world and do something. But I think the Lions have a good shot if they can shock the world. And Matthew Stafford is in that MVP conversation. They can definitely make the playoffs. Yeah, totally. Um, next part with the NFL, then we'll move on to others. I mean, I'm so excited for the NFL season. It's going to be crazy storylines, obviously. Um, lot in the air with coronavirus and such, but you know. Um, so we're um, we're talking about guys that are poised for breakout seasons. Uh, who comes to mind for you? In the NFL? Yes. Uh, all right. Um, you know a guy I've been thinking about a lot, and I'll I'll go back to the Packers. I think Jair Alexander. He's been tossed around in the elite conversation uh, as a court as a cornerback. Uh, I think he can take that step up this year. Um, you see his rookie year, he, he was possibly defensive rookie of the year candidate. He was a complete shutdown quarter, uh, corner for Green Bay. Uh, his sophomore year kind of took a little bit of a, a step back, uh, but he, he still had a very solid season. 
I think he can become a pro bowler in year three. And I think he can step up into maybe top 10, top five cornerback in the NFL in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have three guys listed. We already touched on Drew Locke, so I won't go over that again, obviously in a great situation. Then my other two wide receivers, the first one being Deontay Johnson. He already had a terrific rookie season that went totally under the radar. Let's see. He had 59 catches for 680 yards uh, with five touchdowns. With He had M- Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges at quarterback. So right. I feel like it, with Big Ben at the helm, it would have been even better. And with I think he'll be even better with a consistently healthy Juju. Because he they they can't hone in on Johnson, and I think he's he's versatile. He's incredible. He has the speed. He has the hands. Um, it does. I think you can play him outside. You can play him in the slot, and he'll 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 produce. Uh, and I think people will start talking about him more when age. You know, guys like AJ Brown were kind of overshadowing the rookie wide receiver game. I love Deontay Johnson. Think think he can do wonders. And then my other guy, who I'm a homer for him, we, we mentioned him a little bit, and that's Brandon Ayuk. And yes, he's a rookie, so I don't know if you can call it like a breakout season, but, you know, most people consider him probably, you know, being taken in the first round, obviously steps below CD, Judy, and Ruggs. But San Francisco is the perfect system with him. And with Debo Samuel possibly missing the beginning of the season, I think he can take a little bit of that Samuel role. Um, having watched him for two seasons at Arizona State, he is incredible with run after catch. You put the ball in his hands, and he's incredibly elusive. Um, while he also has the burners down the field, I think the Kyle Shanahan offense is absolutely perfect for him and that he can he can make a statement rookie year. Absolutely, I like I I like Ayuk. I liked him coming out of the draft. You know, obviously, when the Packers trade up to twenty six, there are three names that were bouncing around in my head. That was Patrick Queens, Denzel Patrick Queen, Denzel Mims, and Brandon Ayuk. And obviously, the Packers went another direction. But I like Ayuk. I think he works in the Shanahan offense. Uh, I think Lafleur probably wasn't quite there um, with getting his offense more neck and neck with Shanahan's moving in from. Uh, McCarthy's West Coast, but I really like Ayuk, and I think he can do some damage in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, we ended up getting Mims in the second round. I loved that pick. Um, okay, moving on from the NFL, and I'm going to let you basically take this over because this is not my expertise, not my realm. I don't want to be spewing uh, inaccurate stuff. Um, but little NBA discussion and what you expect with its return. Well, obviously, uh, being from Wisconsin, I'm a huge Bucks fan. I think Giannis is my MVP. Uh, Chris Middleton's on your underrated, what have you. The Bucks are the best team in the NBA. I'll tell you whatever it is to say that the Bucks are the best team in the NBA. And I think it's true. I think that they, they obvi- they've beaten the Lakers. They've beaten the Clippers twice. They've been able to beat Toronto, Philadelphia. I think they beat Boston this year if i'm not mistaken but nonetheless they have the bench they have the starting quality and i think they can go far uh hopefully all the way to the nba finals but we saw it last year the bucks were the best team in the nba too and they ran into Kawhi in the eastern conference finals and lost in six 
but I think the Bucks have an opportunity. You look at Giannis and you look at, um, he's probably one of the greatest stories ever in the NBA. I, I think this is probably his best year. You know, with all the quarantine, the, the shutdown, everything, people's minds wander. And I think more than ever, we've seen talk about Giannis leaving Milwaukee. And I don't see that happening. I think he's going to go out and prove to everyone that the Bucks are a good team. The, he's going to go out and do his best effort to bring Milwaukee a title and prove that I'm being a Milwaukee fan. I've noticed a huge small market bias just last night in the schedule release. You see Philadelphia, Boston, Toronto, and Miami getting their schedules released before the Bucks. Like there was no mention of the Milwaukee Bucks until probably like 45 minutes into the show. And that, that kind of ticks me off being a small market fan that my team doesn't get any recognition. I think Giannis is going to go out and prove that, Hey, small markets can do something too. And I think they, they will come out of the East and get into the NBA finals. It'll see, we'll see who they match up with. I know the Lakers, they're going to lose Avery Bradley. He, he opted out uh, to play in the restart. Um, yeah, Dwight Howard was pretty vocal about it as well. We'll just see who they run into in, in the finals, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and in terms of coronavirus implications, how do you think the game's going to change or do you see any play style really changing at all? Well, I, I'm not sure. I it's It's tough to talk about because you're not really sure how it's going to change. Like, how are you going to be able to say, oh, six feet of difference? distance when you're trying to well I know obviously Steph Curry isn't in the restart but if he gives Steph Curry six feet of distance he's gonna drain threes on your face all night you can't you can't have social like and I think Sean McVay talked about with football you can't have social distancing and sports at the same time I think something has to give uh I'm still not 100% certain we're gonna be able to make it through the end of the season but I like to talk as if we if as if we are going to get through the end of the season uh, in all sports. But at the same time, it, it the coronavirus is still obviously a, a big concern across the world, especially in sports. Um, I think it, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, a game without fans, uh, even what what an NBA championship victory is going to be like without any fans like that's probably one of the greatest atmospheres in all of professional sports is seeing sitting in an arena sold out and the confetti falling what's that going to be like without any fans yeah um i will say the nba given all that's going on it sounds like they've done a terrific job um in their protocols and ways they're trying to handle stuff but ultimately, it's tough because, like you're saying, you can't modify sports for a social distancing-based game. So it'll definitely be interesting. Right. And then, okay, so that's all we're going to talk about NBA. Like I said, I'm I'm not much of an NBA guy, and I don't want to make Joey go on and on. <laughs> 
so, I'm not really much of an NBA guy either. I just, I mean, I, I touch on a little bit in, in some of my talks, but I'm not really a big NBA guy either. I just, I know, I know the Bucks are the best team in the NBA, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, okay, going uh, definitely my favorite, and I, I probably assume your favorite as well, talking college football. Um, first discussion question is, how will games uh, without fans like affect the sport? Um, well, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, obviously, college football is a ways away. I mean, just um, over two months away now. Um, I think there's still a possibility that there's going to be fans, but you think what it's going to be like without fans. I mean, I, I touched on a little bit with the NBA, uh, with the NBA playoffs, you're removing probably some of the greatest um, traditions in college football. You, you, you talk about, you know, obviously Wisconsin, you have jump around, uh, shout Oregon, uh, just all of these traditions that are probably going to be lost uh, for for another season, if they have one, it's it's tough to think about because you know when you think college football, you think about those traditions, you think about that. But at the end of the day, I hope that there's just going to be the opportunity for kids to go out and play football uh, like they want to, and I think that's that's the beauty of college sports is that. These guys aren't getting paid to do it. They're playing because they love the sport. Yeah, and to- totally. I'm willing. Obviously, there are ideal situations, but ultimately, I think you can agree that you'll take. We'll take sports in whatever capacity. Um, after this whole hiatus. So for me, when I think about games without fans, I think of taking away the atmosphere of, for example, places like Kyle Field, arguably the hardest place to go on the road. You think of Kinnick where, you know, top 10 teams go to die. It's really taking away that home field advantage. And obviously, you know, the travel and such um, is still going to affect you. But when you're going into places like that, it's not going to have the same effect. Or like for Penn State Whiteout, for example. You're not oh, yeah. getting any of that. And I feel like not necessarily gonna like prevent upsets because upsets are gonna happen regardless. But you're not gonna have the host the same hostile environments that can you know even shift a game. And you you think about you know I th- I believe it's week two this year, uh, the Ohio State Oregon uh, matchup at Autzen Stadium. Uh, the governor of Oregon has already said that there I believe um, as of right now that they said. Uh, no outdoor events with more than whatever amount of people. So pretty much there's, it's already been confirmed. There's, if there's a season, there's not going to be any fans in Austin stadium for a potential top five matchup. And you think about, you know, Ohio state going into a hostile Austin crowd, they're probably, they would probably have some, some difficulty, but now they're going into a neutral site pretty much uh, other, other than the travel, you're going into a neutral site. You could pretty much just remove the fans I think Oregon's going to have a tough time. Like usually when it's with those types of environments, you, you, it's going to the home field advantage is definitely something you, you look into. Uh, and with, when it comes to upsets, but now when you don't have that energy to feed off of, of your home fans, I think that's going to be uh, way more difficult 
uh, for home teams now that are want, wanting to come in and upset a, a, a higher-ranked team coming in on the road. Yeah, that, yeah, especially. And that's why my mind first goes to place like Iowa, which has, you know, incredible. I, I love Iowa. I love Kinnick. It's, it's, it's always fun to watch him play. But you're not going to have that same effect as a solid but not incredible team to have those opportunity to knock off um, top five teams and such. So Right, and I know the Badgers have to take a trip to Kinnick this year. Yeah, they take a trip to Kinnick this year. And I think early on at the end of the 2019 season, it, it was talk like, okay, looking ahead to 2020, what are some games that the Badgers might have like might have some difficulty with? Well, one of them would be going into Kinnick, the other one going into the big house in Ann Arbor. But you look at both of those, those are like the big house, 100,000 plus seats in the building. Kinnick, we've seen... Um, Ohio State go in there and get their socks rocked off, what what have you. I think you talk about teams that are going to go in on the road to a, a place like Kinnick, Autzen, Big House, what, whatever. It's going to be a lot more difficult for home teams to pull off the upset with no fans. Yeah. Next up, um, discussing everyone's favorite topic, the hot seat. Um, going into 2020, who are some coaches that um, need to do well or will get canned? I think you look at Michigan and you look at Jim Harbaugh. He hasn't been able to beat Ohio State since leaving the NFL to go to Michigan. He, um, I think he's definitely on the hot seat. And I think he's been on the hot seat for a while, but he's been able to get that one signature win. Like last year, it was uh, blowing out Notre Dame at home. Uh, he's been able to get that one signature win that that keeps him uh, cools off his seat a little bit. But I think that one, what Michigan fans and administration wants is beating Ohio State. Will that happen this year? Probably not. But I think if he can get some big time wins, like I, you mentioned, Wisconsin coming into uh, Ann Arbor, getting that win, uh, getting. I, I'm I'm unfamiliar with their schedule uh, fully this year, but they got a tough. They get Washington early in the season as well. Yeah, Penn State, Washington, he, he, maybe getting two of those three wins, and you, you see about keeping them around. But you, you talk about if they lose to Penn State, Wisconsin, Washington, Ohio State, I I can't see um, I can't see Michigan wanting to keep them around for much longer. And I think there are some guys that they can go after. Um, to pretty much get what they want, uh, getting those big time wins. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's definitely they have a tough schedule this year, and obviously, gotta beat Ohio State. That's what he was brought here for. I don't know if they'd be without unless it was really a disaster. I don't know if they'd fire him after this year, but you could definitely make a strong argument that they should. Right. Um, for me. Um, I feel like when you're talking about hot seats, it's hard not to start with Clay Helton. Um, yeah. had a, you know, started with a great beginning, getting that Rose Bowl win in a classic over Penn State. And then last two years, not been great. Um, I think there's a... It's hard to say because USC um, looks poised for a good season. But 
the question is, what will it take for them to keep Helton? Because everyone is calling for his head. And I feel like, I don't know, if, if they, at least a Pac-12 championship appearance is needed. Anything less than that, I think he's gone. Winning the Pac-12, I think will keep his, probably keep his job as well as if that could lead to a New Year's Six Bowl, he's fine. But it's tough with USC because it's never been a talent issue. And Slovis, look, I'm super high on Slovis. I think he's incredible. But I don't know. I really don't know about Clay Helton. USC is definitely an interesting, um, you touched on it, yeah, um, they had that, the Rose Bowl victory with Darnold, but I think ever since then, they've kind of slowly gone down uh, after, if I'm not mistaken, it was, they lost in the Cotton Bowl to Alabama, something like that. Um, um they have, uh, what game I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, it was the Cotton Bowl to Ohio State. Yeah. Um. And I think they played Alabama, something like that. I I, or, I I can't remember a lot of games in the past, but um, it, it's definitely something that they've gotten a little bit of a decline ever since that Rose Bowl win. I think this year's probably better than ever to get up it. I think if they don't at least win the Pac-12 South, I, I think it, it's it could be lights out for, for Helton. And I think... Even just with last year, there was talk like, oh, they're going to bring in P.J. Fleck. Oh, are they going to lure Urban Meyer out of retirement again? There was talk then. Um, but I think if, at least if you don't win the Pac-12 South, I, I think definitely uh, he's probably going to be out. Yeah. And then looking at some like lower-tier guys, I think Derek Mason and Vanderbilt don't need to discuss him for a while. He's... I don't know how he still has a job. Obviously, Vanderbilt's a tough place, but it's been awful. Um, SEC, Will Muschamp, um, tough. I mean, the SEC, when you're not at a blue blood, it's incredibly tough. Um, and I do really like Ryan Holinsky, but I don't know. I feel like they they make a bowl game a little plus. Um, he has a chance to keep his job, but... It's, it's going to be tough in the SEC, so I would not be surprised if he got canned. And, I mean, I think if they didn't have that upset win over Georgia, he probably would have been already out. Yeah. Uh, I think I, – I do like Holinsky. I like what he brings to the table. I think they can – if Holinsky steps up to the challenge, uh, they could be a solid team in the SEC, but definitely you touched on it. If you're not a blue blood like Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida – uh, maybe Tennessee. If you're if you're not one of those five teams, you're probably looking at a a, a tough going. Um, just trying to compete with them. Uh, obviously, I mean they beat Georgia in an upset, but I don't think you can really take upsets into account uh, when you're looking at it overall. I, I think he needs to pull together uh, an, either another big win this year or an overall great an overall solid season with the games that they have. Yeah. Um, and then finishing this talk up, um, I think uh, in the Pac-12 going back, um, Kevin Sumlin, they gave him a pre- – Arizona gave him a lot of money to come over, and he's been pretty awful. Um, last year it was hard to watch Arizona play. And, look, I'm an Arizona State fan, 
But you can ask Arizona, guys. It's been pretty bad. Um, we saw the downfall of Khalil Tate, and there are a number of issues with that. But um, if if they miss a bowl game again, I, I think there's no way he can keep his job. And also Chip Kelly. Uh, I think UCLA could have a surprise year a little bit in the South. But honestly, if, I, if it weren't for his name being Chip Kelly, I wouldn't have been surprised if they got rid of him last year. Exactly. I, I feel that, too. I think um, I think they've got a couple guys that have pretty much just been carrying their program, uh, especially last year, I think. With that comeback win over, um, over Washington State, I, you look at these coaches that are on the hot seat uh, going into 2020, it's like one win that if they didn't have that, they probably would already be out. Yeah, it's like we talked about Harbaugh, we talked about Muschamp. Now Kelly with that win over um, over Washington State, it's like one or two games that can completely change uh, the coaching carousel. And I, I don't know. I think you, we we touched on a little bit. It, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the how the season turns out and what what coaches will meet their expectations and which ones won't. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the great Midwest, your region of the country. Um, first question, I mean, to me, I think this is rhetorical, but can Ohio State be stopped? I don't think so. I, I don't, I think they're, right now, I've got them going undefeated in Big, in big Ten play, at least. I, I think, don't, yeah, sorry, I continue. Penn, I think Penn State, you know, they got Sean Clifford, he's, he's pretty solid. Uh, didn't rise to the challenge against Minnesota in that in that classic victory, but I think they've got a really great running back room. I think they've got Micah Parsons, but Ohio State it's just a different level. Like that, Justin Fields is probably. Um, uh, I'm I'm going to think about this before I say it because I'm probably very wrong because I'm probably th- forgetting about someone, but I think Justin Fields is probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Uh, for some time oh yeah totally like I'm, I, there's got to be someone that i'm thinking that i'm completely forgetting about but i don't think there is well in terms i mean jt barrett put up really good numbers but i don't think any of no, the guys just, i think there's been no one that's been a like a pro caliber um a pro caliber prospect like justin fields i think jt barrett was great but I think he's a co- he was a college quarterback, and it's hard right. not to be great at Ohio State. And Dwayne Haskins, you know, he had his record-breaking year or whatever. Um, but I I never really bought into the Haskins hype last year. Yeah, me neither. Um, I think by far Justin Fields is the best quarterback to come through the Big Ten in a while. Yeah. Um, even with the loss of Chase Young. I think the defense is still there. You have Sean Wade. Um, excuse me. Am I thinking about the right guy? Yeah, yeah. You got Sean yeah, Wade. Yeah, because yeah, I, I know um, they've they've got a couple guys that left for the they, – they had Arnett that left for the – Yeah, they had Arnett and Okuda go. But, I yeah, mean, yeah, Sean, Sean Wade, terrific potential first-round pick. Yeah. Um, that's the thing with Ohio State – I they got they have some tough games. Um, you got Oregon, you got Penn State, who I like both of those teams. But if you told me right now that Ohio State 
won every game by two touchdowns or more, I would not be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked either. And, and to me, sorry, continue, continue. I what I'm talking about is a Big Ten West fan. Um, really, the only reason a Big Ten West team makes the Rose Bowl is because Ohio State's either in the national championship or in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, you look at last year's Wisconsin team. You know, they got off to a hot start. You know, I I think at the beginning of the year before the loss to Illinois, they were the best defense in college football. At that point, they already had like what. I think three shutouts at that point. Um, They're, I think, one of the one of the best defenses in college football. I think, uh, and then you have Jonathan Taylor doing his thing. Uh, Jack Cohn kind of shocking uh, with a couple good games there against such Central Michigan and such. But they were not. A, I don't think they're a Rose Bowl caliber team. And obviously, as a Wisconsin fan, I always say, "Hey, we made it to the Rose Bowl." I think Penn State was. E- easily the better team and I understand why they got why Penn State kind of was pretty vocal about missing the Rose Bowl but as a Big Ten West fan I the Big Ten West is good but none of them match Ohio State yeah Minnesota's good Wisconsin's good Iowa's good Nebraska has a potential Purdue can shock people now and again but none of them even come close to Ohio State, and I don't think they will for for a while. Yeah, and the thing with Penn State, we'll keep up with this, is I am a massive Penn State believer. I think they're very good. But the question is, could a one, let's say Penn State loses to Ohio State, but they run the table from there. Could a one-loss Penn State, similar to Alabama a few years ago, be go, could they make the playoff as a one-loss team without a conference championship? If you're not in the SEC, no way. I don't think the committee will. Ever, well, has it happened? No, I I don't think you can put in. Uh, I am a Big Ten fan. I think Big Ten has some great football, but thinking from the committee standpoint, I don't think they'll ever put. Uh, two Big Ten teams in the playoffs. I don't think – Penn State's a great team, but looking at it from the committee's, committee standpoint, I think they'll say, hey, they're a Rose Bowl team. I think they're going to win the Rose Bowl, uh, whatever. But if they're not in the SEC, I don't see it happening. Well, yeah, I just – I put up their schedule, and I think the main thing that could hold them back is their non-conference is Kent State, Virginia Tech, and San Jose State. And then in crossplay, they I don't think they get either Minnesota or Wisconsin. So to me, if they had a tougher schedule, if they were playing Wisconsin and um, Minnesota, and they had a decent non-conference game, I think they could. But I I agree that without that rock star resume, I couldn't see it. It's hard to do it outside of the SEC. And maybe, maybe if they have a game with Ohio State and it comes down to like a less like less than a touchdown game, maybe there's a there's a conversation and they blow out everyone else, maybe there's a conversation. Yeah, I, I think would, it'd be I would, I would hope that the committee would somewhat say, Hey, they lost by three points to Ohio State and blew everyone else out. Let's put them in and give them another shot against Ohio State as a four seed. 
Yeah. I think it'd be much more likely if Penn State was able to pull off the win against Ohio State that they put in a one-loss Ohio State team. Right, yeah. Because um, you look at Ohio State, obviously they're a blue-blood program. Um, but Penn State, at at least since the whole um, the whole situation they had a couple years ago, uh, that I won't really touch on, but I don't think they'll... The committee won't say one loss Penn State is in over maybe a, a one loss, even a two loss SEC team that has a championship. If hypothetically, let's say Georgia, I'm I'm just throwing whatever I can together. Georgia's a two loss team that ends up winning. They beat Alabama in the SEC championship. I think. Georgia will have more, uh, more. I think the committee will like Georgia more than a one-loss Penn State. Yeah, um, similarly, I think if you have, um, if you're putting them head-to-head against, let's say, uh, maybe even two-loss Oregon team that win, let's say their loss, or oh, we'll go with one loss. We'll say they lose to Ohio State and run the table in the Pac-12 and win the Pac-12. I don't think you're. I I think it'd be tough to put Penn State over them. Although it would make a good debate. I I think it would, especially if you have a common loss like that. But obviously, you talk about the Big Ten East is probably more difficult than the Pac-12. Um, it you know you get Michigan, you get some some surprise teams, maybe a Michigan State, well whatever. But I think you there. Sorry, guys, had a quick uh, technical difficulty, but we're back. Um, still on the P- Big T- Ten. Sorry, can't speak. Big Ten talk. Um, um, next subject. I mean, what are we thinking about Michigan State? I mean, really hard team to look at. Um. Well, you look at Michigan State. I think it's a it's a different. Um. It's a new regime with Mel Tucker. Um, it, it, and moving on from, from Brian Lewerke, who, I mean, you either like him or you don't. I don't. I hate him. Just not a good quarterback at all. Um, but you look at Rocky Lombardi, who's going to come in and take that the starting job, I think. Um what is he going to do? I mean, he he showed some potential. I think when Michigan State played Purdue, he showed some potential. Um, but, you know, what's Mel Tucker going to be able to do coming in with no spring practice, no no anything really, uh, just with some with a short time period to implement what he wants for the 2020 season? And I think obviously they're going to give him some time. And I think with all rookie head coaches, especially at the college level, they're going to give – uh, they're going to give them some time. Uh, I don't think you're, you're going to see any one-and-done coaches this year, um, especially how rare it is to begin with. But there's going to be some extra patience this year with Mel Tucker um, going forward. I think he's going to be able to come in. Michigan State, obviously, at, at some point was a great program. Uh, not great, but you know, they made the playoff uh, one uh, believe 2014 uh, but they 
they need some time. And I think Mel Tucker, uh, will he be able to get be the guy to bring them back to relevancy, maybe even just to being ranked? Uh, maybe, maybe. Like, But like I said, give him some time and get let him get his guys. And I think then you'll start to be able to talk about um, that – that Michigan State could be okay. I think they could potentially get an upset win this year uh, against who I don't know, but I think they could be the team to upset Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State. I suppose. I'm really, I'm not high on Michigan State for this year. and Because the thing about Michigan State is they've never really been much of a recruiting team, which that could change right. under Tucker. But especially for this year, and really the year after that, before he really starts getting his guys, I feel like there's just not a lot of talent there in a in a pretty solid Big Ten East. That I think it'll be hard to make a bowl game. And with that, I don't, I don't, I'm not sold on Tucker. I think he could get there, but I mean, he he didn't do incredible at Colorado. Like I mean, Colorado was fine, but I mean. You see, he's leaving a Colorado program that's probably going to be pretty bad this year. So, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold on Michigan State now and or for the future. By no means do I think Mel Tucker is going to be Michigan State's savior, but I think he could do, some, he could do something. Yeah. They could maybe make a bowl game, get an upset win, get into a, you know, 7-5, 6-6, and six, get into a bowl game and, you know, do whatever they can. But... I, I think Mel Tucker is probably a guy that's going to stick around maybe five or six years, if that, and um, then it might be curtains for him. Yeah. All right, that's a, that's a good spot talking about the Big Ten. Um, and to wrap up our college football discussion, um, who are some of the under-the-radar studs that you like for the 2020 season, some guys that aren't exactly big name for the common folk? Well, um, the guy, I, I mostly think of Wisconsin guys because I think a lot of people think Wisconsin was just Jonathan Taylor. I, no, I don't think he's that at all. I, I don't think Wisconsin's that at all. I think Jack Cohn can do something special, and I, I don't even think he's an under-the-radar guy. I think a lot of people know Jack Cohn. Maybe some, some casual fans might not know who Jack Cohn is. But to be quite honest with you, I think you could pick out any casual college football fan, and I don't think they'd be able to name a player off Wisconsin's roster right now. Uh, I'll be completely honest. But I think after the end of this year, I think there will be some guys who will be household names. Like, I think Jack Cohn will – he'll step up and be a a great quarterback. I think the the Badgers are going to move away from being just that run – that run – team that they had since they had Jonathan Taylor for three years um I think Jack Cohn showed some promise I I don't think he's just a game manager I think he can definitely make some plays and win Wisconsin some games uh and then you look defensively for the Badgers you know you lose Zach Bond and Chris Orr who had been around with the program for uh, five years but you look in their secondary Eric Burrell I think is going to be one of the best safeties uh, in college football this year, maybe top five this year. I think um, 
there was he was he was um suspended he um it had a a targeting call called against him in the second half of the Michigan game and he came out um of the Northwestern game in the second half uh he comes in he forces this big fumble on uh, Hunter Johnson scooped up for a touchdown <laughs> and I think that's that was kind of his like and people were watching that game like, whoa, this Eric Burrell guy he can do something. But I think he can definitely make some plays to give him some give him some leeway and some – a lot of people don't really – wouldn't really think of an Eric Burrell, but I think he's a great player, and I think he's going to be able to be one of the best offensive players in the Big Ten, if not the country. Yeah. Um, for me, I thought of two guys, one of which – is a little more well-known, but I'll start with um, the really underrated player from a national standpoint, and that's Hamilcar Rashid Jr., linebacker um, from Oregon State. And Oregon State, you know, not not a great team, not a great program, so I understand why he's flown under the radar a little bit for that. But the guy was incredible last year. His redshirt junior season, he led the nation with an Oregon State record, 22 and a half tackles for loss, um, as well as he tied, he was tied for third nationally with um, 14 sacks. Um, around the country, a bunch of people recognize him as a first-team All-American or at least second-team All-American. He was probably the best defender in the Pac-12 last year, and he's really just not known at all when he's, I mean... He's an elite pass rusher that that he makes plays. There's just you're you're you watch Hamilcar Rashid, he makes plays. You look at he, he tallied at least one tackle for loss in ten of twelve games. That's just it's crazy for me. Seven games he had a sack. Um he let's this is crazy to me. Uh, he had two three sack games against back to back against Cal and Arizona. And obviously Cal and Arizona aren't, you know, powerhouse, but that, you just don't see that from pass rushers, and this guy, I just, you know, I don't think he's none super, and I'm, I'm guilty of that too, I, this, his season totally flew under the radar to me, but when you look at it, incredible guy going into his redshirt senior year, um, he's gonna be a staple of that Oregon State defense and take over the Pac-12. And I think, yeah, you, you bring up those stats, like, those are insane stats, and especially in a in a conference where you you, you think about Oregon's defense. Oh, I think Oregon State definitely has a stud on that defense too. Yeah, and then the other guy who I think a lot of people know but kind of underappreciated him last season is Puka Williams. So he was kind of like a freshman sensation with Kansas. A lot of having to do with like him being a decent player on a very bad team and partially because of his terrific name. But it felt like people were kind of forgetting about Puka last year when in reality he was very good again, had had a thousand yard season, um, had averaged over five yards a carry. He only had five total touchdowns, but I mean, he was pretty solid in the receiving game. I think he's definitely a guy that um, he's lacked a little bit of consistency, but with going into his junior year, I think he can totally take a step forward. And he he's already one of the better running backs in the Big 12, um, obviously behind Chuba Hubbard. But I love Puka Williams, and 
I think more than just a freshman sensation and kind of uh, a Kansas guy, I think he's actually very good and um, will garner more respect after this season. Yeah, I definitely see that. I think, you know, Kansas is kind of like football. Like, they'll get they'll get their four wins a year, maybe, and, you know, people will just be so excited for him. I think Puka kind of got his um, – like the national spotlight, like you said, he's on a lovable loser. He's a decent player on a lovable loser team. And um, his name gets him a little bit of credit, but he's a great player too. And I think, especially with a team like Kansas, um, he he can be a star, especially if he, he breaks out here um, a little bit further into his career. Yeah. Um, so that's all for our college football part. And then um, let's talk a little about the MLB. We, we're having a season, six, 60 games. We're going to start in July 23rd, 24th. Um, I actually just saw they reported that opening day, one of the matchups is going to be Nationals-Yankees. We'll get likely Scherzer versus Cole, which will be incredible. But um, what do you think in the 60-game season is going to look like? What are going to be some differences? Um what do you what do you think will be different about this year in the MLB? Well, I think obviously games will mean more um, uh, across the board. I, games will mean more. Um, it won't just be like oh, it's one out of one sixty two. No, it's like one out of sixty now. Like you're you're talking less than uh, a basketball season, and already when you lose it, uh, but basketball there are 16 teams that make the playoffs and baseball there's only 10 and it's based off of if you win your division or not it's going to mean a lot more in baseball now to win a game it's not going to be like you're going to need to put your best nine out there and i don't think there will be many rest days uh, i think it's going to be a completely different strategy uh from a regular 162 game season and I think we talked about it a little bit the teams that have like at at this rate you're not you're not going to need a lot of depth to get through a sixty game season. I think teams that have great starting uh, starting nines uh, that's those are going to be the teams that uh, do some damage. And I, we talked about the Padres; they've got some star power. They you have Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., Eric Hosmer, maybe if you want to put him up there. Eric Hosmer sucks. Um, <laughs> I like that signing when they got him a couple of years ago. And I, I, I went to a Padres game a couple of years ago and it's a great experience, a, a great stadium, what have you. And this is when they were like, you know, they were always fifth in the NL West or whatever, but now they've got some star power and I think they can jump up from, you know, from where they finished last year, which was fifth in the NL West, which I think now they can probably make the playoffs, in my opinion, just with the star power that they have. Yeah, I think um, just on the note of teams like the Padres with, that are kind of like in the middle of like, can they make the playoffs? Can they not? With this short season, it's there. Every, any almost any team can make it because we don't really know what the threshold's going to be. But I, you got to imagine it's going to be probably a little bit over 500. So I'd say probably like 32 to 33 wins could get it done. And with that span, that opens the door 
for really almost anyone. And I think um, it's about, I think depth is still important, but I agree that through the 60 game season, when you have those studs, it's helpful. But I think pitching depth is the main thing that's going to matter. When you have, when you, when you have quality pitchers that can go out there um, and with that depth, you're going to be, for example, your Brewers with Josh Hader. Um, with the 60-game season, obviously the Brewers don't have the strongest bullpen behind them. Um, but with the 60-game season, you can you can more afford to have them, you know, throw multiple innings a game when typically you're not seeing a reliever, maybe a long reliever, go more than an inning. So that's what I think for teams, it's totally going to be beneficial for teams like the Padres, um, the Yankees, the Rays, teams like that with pitching depth. That's the big thing to me. Right, and I, I see that too. I, pitching depth is obviously different than having a like a depth in your lineup. Um, your your starting nine. Sorry to, for the confusion, but uh, talking about a little bit more with your batters, I think uh, the one team that, and I may be a little biased, the one team in my opinion that benefits the most from a universal designated hitter is definitely the Brewers because you have a guy like Ryan Braun. You know, he's a solid defensive left fielder not great like he's getting up there in age but getting his bat on almost a daily basis i think is huge uh, for for a team like the brewers um especially in you know you have your your brandon woodruff who can go out and put put a couple knocks um (laughs) on the board but now you don't need that you've got solid bats all around uh one through nine that can get on base and now you give an opportunity to put in Ryan Braun without having to put him in the field. I think the Brewers definitely benefit from that. Yeah, it's kind of sad that, uh, well, I'm, I'm a fan of the University of DH, but Brandon Woodruff will have the last pitcher home run in the postseason or just in general. Um, correct me, yeah? He had a home run. I season. think there, there have been a couple pitcher home runs since the, since game one of the NLCS, but he'll be the last postseason one, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think also for the Brewers, I think Braun makes the most sense, but also if they choose to, I think Keston here is not a bad option. I think they'd probably rather put Braun because Keston's young and a little more able, but he's pretty awful at second base. Yeah, and I think um, with the trade that they had with the Padres, I know Urias is um, he's an interesting um it's interesting with him, you know, he came into spring training. He was, uh, I think he just come off of surgery, but now I think you're thinking, okay, he might be ready for opening day now, uh, yeah. which I think he would have been to begin with, but now he's going to be ready for opening day. Now you have a couple options uh, with your interior infielder. Uh, you, you could put him at second base and put uh, here at, um, at designated hitter. But and what would Arcia be? At, would Arcia be at short? I think Arcia would, would be at short. Um, he's a solid short. He's a solid shortstop defensively. Um, I, there are options, and I, I'm not saying that uh, that Arcia is by far the b- better shortstop because honestly, I haven't looked too much into Urias uh, it, defensively. I've looked more at his bat, but it, there are options now for Craig Council to you know move some guys around. 
and especially with more guys, more a, a bigger roster um, for the first couple of weeks, the Brewers had a lot of guys that uh, in the infield that probably could be on an MLB roster, like MLB 25 man roster that they would have had to send down to the minors. Like I think Justin Smoke, Logan Morrison, um, uh, Ryan Healy, uh, guys like that, that it was kind of like, okay, who's going to fill in for Eric Thames? Now I think you have options to, you're going to be able to move some guys around on a day-to-day basis. And, um, you know, you, you are going to be able to be fresh every day, but, um, yeah, I think the Brewers have options in their infield and their outfield with uh, the pickup of Avi Garcia. And that's what I think with all teams. Obviously, there's some teams that have better depth than others, but given that you're going to have the taxi squad and that we're not going to be seeing any sort of minor league baseball, teams are going to be more willing to bring up their top prospects or put in these more intriguing guys um, because ultimately it's going to benefit the team. Like, like for, the Padres are a perfect example of this. Um, we got Mackenzie Gore, um, half Taylor Trammell, and even um, Luis Patino, which all are highly touted prospects. Um, I believe Keith Law has Mackenzie Gore, definitely, I think, top five prospect, number one um, pitcher in all of baseball. Patino's up there as a pitcher, and then Trammell, um, one of the higher-ranked outfielders. Um, those are guys that we probably would have expected to join the team at the end of 2020. Um, but with no minor league season, I think it makes a lot of sense to get them up here and get them some reps, whether, you know, whether they're getting, whether Tramiel's starting in the lineup every day, whether Gore is necessarily starting or they're working them out of the bullpen. Teams are, teams want their top prospects to play. And in a lot of cases, they're probably good enough to play. Right. And, um, Obviously, the Brewers don't have a great farm system, so I haven't really paid attention to the strategy with the farm system. But I think definitely when you have guys like that and they're going to be out of a minor league season, you've got to get them uh, as much experience as you can. And obviously, throwing them into an MLB game, that's probably not going to be – but giving them some experience against – MLB quality guys in, in uh, a practice scenario, I think will be beneficial for them. And I think that's going to be the best possible uh, scenario for them with no minor league season. Yeah. And one thing um, that I'm super interested to look at, obviously the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of different things in terms of pitching strategy, such as the Rays revolutionizing the opener. I think, there's definitely we'll definitely see some interesting pitching strategies such as doing like a tandem thing. You have you have a guy go three innings and three innings go to the bullpens and such. Um, and there are a lot of things that you just might not even think of that they're that guys are gonna try to do because these are this so unprecedented with sixty games, um, slightly expanded rosters, and every game really mattering. Right, and I I definitely see that. Um... I know Craig Council's had his fair share of interesting pitching strategies with uh, uh, the whole Wade Miley thing in the NLCS back in 18, but um, obviously that that w- was um, put out of effect. But I think there are going to be more revolution, more revolutionary strategies coming to baseball in 2020. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're transitioning here to the end. Um, for those who haven't seen our first two, or first episode, uh, second episode, I suppose, sorry. Again, can't speak. Um, we're going to do a little two-minute drill, um, which I'm just going to be asking. I'm going to set a timer for two minutes, and I'm going to ask our guest, Joey Bonadonna, some rapid-fire questions. So let's get into it. Um, All right. Three, two, Tua or Burrow? Burrow. College football or NFL? Uh, I'm going to go NFL. Uh, Lakers or Bucks? Bucks. Uh, who's the favorite to win the Super Bowl? Uh, Chiefs. Uh, would you rather a guy with big power but strikes out a lot or a consistent bat with mediocre power? Chicks take the long ball. I'm going to go power. <laughs> uh, best coach in all of sports currently? Uh, currently, Greg Popovich. Uh, Bills or Pats? Uh, Bills. Best rivalry in sports? Bears Packers. Uh, favorite Twitter account? Uh, Nathan Marzion. Uh, will the Cardinals win the NFC West? No. Uh, Brewers record over the 60 games? Uh, 34 and 26. Fields or T-Law? Uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, favorite sports moment of all time, personally? Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary against the Lions. Um, uh, SEC on CBS or Big Ten on Fox Sports? Uh, I love Gus Johnson. I'm going to go Big Ten on Fox Sports. Uh, who's starting at quarterback for the Bears? I still say Trubisky. Uh, most explosive player in college football? Either Etienne or Hubbard. Uh, Yankees or Dodgers? Dodgers. LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. Uh, should Barry Bonds slash Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? I say yes. Uh, KD, love him or hate him? Oh, I've got mixed feelings on him. There's just a lot. There's a package there. Yeah. Uh, who would have won March Madness this past year? Part of me says Wisconsin, but I think it would have definitely been a blue blood, like Duke or something like that. Will Aaron Rodgers ever get more weapons? <laughs> no, but I don't think necessarily he needs to. <laughs> All right. You got it. You did that with a minute 55. You had five seconds to spare. Um, thank you for coming on, Joey. Really appreciate the insight. All things Wisconsin, all things sports. Um, make sure check him out, uh, Joey Dub Bonadonna on Instagram. He also has a scouting page with that. What is it, JB Scouting? Correct. Yeah, something like that. I'll, I'll um I'll link that in my bio too. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, similar stuff. Twitter, same thing. Yeah, Joey Bonadonna. Yeah, um, and make sure, check out, what is it, Cream City? Cream City Central, the Cream blog City's... out of Milwaukee. Yeah, Cream City Central out of Milwaukee. Um, check that out. Check out uh, his articles. And thank you for joining us, Joey. And this, yeah, has been, this has been the third installment of the Red Shirt Podcast. Thank you guys for joining me. Have a great rest of your day. See you guys.